Support for WPR comes from Tomorrow River Community Virtual School, delivering Waldorf-inspired live virtual lessons to grades 4K through 8th, open to all Wisconsin students. More is at trcvs.org. Welcome to another edition of Garden Talk. Hi, Larry Miller here. It's time for our show on orchids. We do this every year with our guest, Chuck Aker. He is um, a breeder of Phragmopedium orchids and produces new hybrids for sale to commercial growers as well as to home hobbyists. His business is called Flasks by Chuck. We'll find out what flasks have to do with orchids in a few minutes as we talk with him. But what questions do you have about orchids? Love to hear from you. Give us a call at 800-642-1234. 1-800-642-1234. Or you can uh, email us to ideas at wpr.org. Ideas at wpr.org. Chuck Aker, welcome back. Good to have you with us. No, it's good to be here again, Larry, with you and your your listeners. Thank you. Well, I tell you what, if you're with us, it means that the Orchid Growers Guild big event, Orchid Quest, uh, can't be far behind, and it isn't. Um, talk about the when and where this year. Yes, Orchid Quest 2024, coming up next weekend, Saturday, February 3rd, 10 to 4, uh, p.m. and Sunday, February 4th, 10 a.m. to 3 p.m., Olbrick Botanical Gardens. Um, this is, I don't know how many years we've been out there now at a wonderful facility. We're very thankful to be able to uh, partake in this place. It's actually where the Orchid Guild holds their monthly meetings as well. As well. Um, I will add that uh, this is a free event, of course. There's free admission. There's free parking. Um, there's no reason to not come out and see a plethora of orchids in this place. We have uh, vendors coming from all over the Midwest this year again. Um, this is uh, an American Orchid Society judged event, so they really bring out the best of the best. Um, bring your camera, obviously. Uh, we've got 11 vendors coming from around the area. Actually, one of them is coming from South America, no. so this is the first time they'll be partaking in our show. They have some really great things to offer um, in the orchid world, the species, and some new hybrids as well. Uh, we have a new vendor coming from Georgia that's going to be bringing some very interesting things. So there's just going to be literally thousands of orchids out there to be had, um, to be purchased, as well as to be viewed in the um, beautiful exhibits that the societies and these um, vendors are going to be put up. So it's it's a huge event. We also got a, an educational center for the children. We call it the Kids Corner. Um, there'll be some face painting, I believe, that Saturday morning right away. Um, the Girl Scouts are being out there partaking in some things as well. Um, this is really a great time. We're looking at some really great weather. Um, takes the the heat off of, you know, taking plants out in the middle of the winter and so on, which is sometimes an element in our in our area sure. here. So uh, we're very thankful to see the extended forecast to be behaving for us, too. So, <laughs> Well, it's going to be a lot of fun. I Last year, I was just thinking about last year because I go each year, but uh, last year a group of went with a group of friends, and I think everybody spent money in one for, sort or another. Mm -hmm. Either they bought orchids or I, I won 
in a silent auction, there's a big silent auction, which is always a lot of fun, and I, I've got the plate that I was uh, after. I got that in the silent auction, so I was a happy guy. Yes, yes. The silent auction is a huge part of our um, event that weekend as well. Uh, we have you know businesses and uh, individuals donating some really great things from, from literal, literally from A to Z, and our team of members of the guild that uh, run that particular part of the show really do a great job in organizing it and getting it all laid out and, and running it for the whole weekend. So there's some really great opportunities to pick up some very unique items there as well. Um, we also have some really great seminars going on, um, both Saturday and Sunday, and I'll, I'll kind of go over those a little bit if I could. Um, Saturday morning at 11 o'clock, <clears throat> we have a <clears throat> excuse me, really great program uh, put on by Dr. Ken Cameron. He's one of our guild members, um, and he is also uh, the professor of botany here at the UW-Madison. And on top of that, he is the director of the uh, Wisconsin State Herbarium. So Ken is a really, really huge uh, part of our club and brings in um, great knowledge and, and uh, interest in, in lots of plants, especially in the orchid world. His talk starts at 11 on Saturday morning. It's called The Principles of Orchid Growing. And what he's going to really emphasize on is, you know, what he talk about what makes an orchid an orchid and how are they similar or different, you know, from other plants. And, um, you know, some of the basics about orchids, how they grow, you know, what the pseudobulb is, how their roots work and the difference between epiphytes and terrestrials. And this is really a really great program. I have not sat in on it, but Ken lectures us occasionally at our club meetings, and he has a really great way of uh, conveying his knowledge. So that that is at 11. I highly recommend that. And then right after that, when he's got everybody all rammed up, uh, I take the stage <laughs> at noon on Saturday, and I have an open forum. Uh, basically, it's just question and answers about orchids and orchid growing. Um, I love this format where I can just, you know, field questions and uh, deal with uh, people's, you know, interests and issues or whatever they w might have with the orchids. Um, so I really enjoy that part of it. It's, it's very much like doing this show with you, Larry. So, um, That's what I was thinking. <laughs> yeah. Then at 1 o'clock on Saturday, we have a repotting demonstration of orchids put on by our guild member and uh, Terry Jodzwiak. And she, I might add that she's also our Orchid Quest uh, show chairman. She, she leads in this, and she has, does a wonderful job of putting this weekend together. And, oh, my gosh, just seeing how much she puts into this, is, it's overwhelming to me. It's like my hat is off to Terry for uh, all of that. But she does a really great job of... Uh, doing potting demonstrations right there in the classroom at Obrick. So um, that's something you want to partake in. And then at 2 o'clock, we have an open panel discussion with uh, three of the Orchid Grower Guild members. And it's a similar thing that um, I would be doing. It's an open panel, just talk with orchid growers, um, throw stuff out there, um, you know, banter back and forth. So it's a real low-key, uh, informative, um, just time to spend with you know a couple of people there and, um, and then on Sunday at 11 a.m. again Ken takes the stage with his principles of orchid growing if you missed it on Saturday you'll have a chance to uh, visit that on Sunday I highly recommend to see that and then at noon again I take the stage with the question and answer open forum and then on one o'clock 
on Sunday, Terry takes the stage again with her repotting demonstration. So there's some Lots really going things on there. going on. Yes. <laughs> Lots going on. And uh, speaking of answering questions, you know, we've got a bunch of people that I think are going to have questions for you. And I'm going to give the number again. The number to call is 800-642-1234. Or you could email us. The email address ideas at WPR.org. What questions do you have about orchids? I always love to hear from you. Uh, Marty emailed us. He says he's uh, very new to orchid growing. Uh, in fact, he just wants to get into it. Is there a type of orchid that's beginner-friendly, or are they all pretty hard to grow? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's yeah. That, we get that question a lot. There definitely is a beginner orchid, and we always kind of lean towards the Phalaenopsis orchid, which is you know the orchid that you see all over nowadays, the grocery stores, and just about everywhere you go, you see Phalaenopsis. You watch TV; they're in the background of you know, TV shows and so on. Uh, they're very conducive, growing in, in our house environment, basically temperatures between 60 and 85. And if you've got any kind of natural light at all in your home, east, west, or south, they do great in those windows. They do well growing under artificial lights, too. So if you don't have good natural exposure, um, they bloom a long time. Even if you aren't successful in growing or reflowering, Orchids in general, a Phalaenopsis orchid, if you purchase it in bloom, you're going to spend two, three, four months looking at this beautiful thing before the flowers start to expire. So just with that, it's really one of the more popular orchids to start with. Um, there are other varieties that will grow in that same regime. Um, there's some lady slipper orchids called Paphiopetalum, which is the tropical lady slipper. They often do very well in home environments, too. They're very conducive to be grown in our average home climate and they also bloom for a very long period of time and uh, they they're smaller plants they generally do well under lights uh, they don't take up a lot of space uh, they have interesting mottled foliage to them uh, some of them are glossy green leafed but many are mottled and have very interesting leaves to them uh, so those are two of the two of the varieties right. that we we really lean towards when we want to get somebody started with orchids Gloria in Milwaukee has a question for you. Gloria, hi. Thank you for calling. Hi. Um, I have, or I was given a, an orchid, you know, the small ones for the house uh, back in the fall, and promptly almost all the flowers fell off very quickly. I'm wondering, um, should I, it, it, I still have the stems which have, teeny little uh, leaves, sort of. Should I take that, um, the dirt out of the pot? It comes with the, the pot that it comes with has no holes in the bottom. So should I take that dirt out and repot it? Um, well, you got a couple of issues going on there. Um, do you know what type of orchid that is? is no, I okay. have no idea. It was okay. purple. I'm assuming it would be the Phalaenopsis orchid. Again, it's the most commonly given and received and grown mm -hmm. orchid around, period. So um, you've lost all your flowers, and is the stem still green, or has it started to brown and die back? Um, there are a few stems, and part of it, part of one of them uh, is drying up, but some mm. of it is still 
green, and then there's another stem that is still green. And those stems had the flowers on them, correct? They did, Okay. At this point, I think I would recommend for you to just take your scissors or your sharp pruning shears and cut those stems off about a half an inch above where they emerge out of the plant. And just clean that part up. And then... Talking about repotting it, if you don't have the correct type of potting mixture for the orchid, um, it may or may not be a good idea to to do that right now. I I do want to address your situation that you have a pot with no drain holes in it. Um, That is not good. If you could find a pot that does have drain holes in it and possibly remove the orchid and its root ball and everything intact and put it into a pot with drainage and not mess around with it too much, that would probably be my best recommendation. Um, If you can get your hands on some orchid potting medium, um, most local garden centers carry some sort of variety of it, um, either moss or a bark-based mix. Um, you can possibly try to tackle the repotting, you know, situation and take it completely apart and put it into a, a different pot with good drainage. So I hope that helps you out. Yeah. Gloria, does that help? Yes. But um, what what would you recommend about how often to water it? Watering is typically done on average about once a week to every 10 days. And the real key with watering is to not overwater that is the most common mistake and common killer that uh, we inco- uh, and see it with the orchid. So um, if you're skeptical on whether to water it that day, skip it. <laughs> you're always better to underwater than you are to overwater. And all the years of doing this, I rarely, rarely see a plant come in for diagnosis that's in an in, in ill state from underwatering, and I always see it with overwatering. Um, one little trick we used to tell people is to take a sharpened pencil and uh, drive it into the, push it into the potting medium, oh, a couple inches or so, and then pull it out and look at that sharpened area on the pencil tip there. And if it's dark and moist, you know that you've got moisture in there. It's, it's a really good indicator tool if you're not used to how long it takes for them to dry out. The real key with orchids generally is to let them dry out between their waterings so the roots advance and go look for more moisture in between. If they're constantly wet, the roots will rot. They're already made up of close to 90% water already, so if they're around a lot of water for a long period of time, they're going to rot. Hmm. Gloria, I hope that helps. Thank you so much uh, for calling. Appreciate your call. You can join in, too. Number to call, 1-800-642-1234, 800-642-1234. You can email us, the email address, ideas at wpr.org. Jill Nadeau our producer today. Tyler Ditter, our engineer. I'm Larry Mueller for Garden Talk on the Ideas Network. On this edition of Garden Talk, we're talking orchids today. We spent some time talking about the Orchid Quest event that starts February 3rd uh, in Madison. A a great chance for you to purchase orchids or anything associated with them. Uh, And our guest today, Chuck Aker, a breeder of Phragmopedium orchids and uh, produces new hybrids. So great to have uh, him with us, too. Uh, Give a call. The number is 800 642-1234 or email to ideas at wpr.org. Judith in Galena. 
our next caller. Hi, Judith. Hi. How's everybody doing on this gloomy day? <laughs> Just fine, Judith. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what can we do okay. for you? Well, I used to live in Chicago and had a wonderful <laughs> orchid growing place nearby. And I had like 60 plus blooming all the time. Oh, wow. Now, in Galena, we don't have an orchid growing place. So I've been making do with home improvement stores and mass merchandisers and not have good luck. And I have found now, after doing some of my own detective work, when I go to repot them thinking maybe that's the issue, and I know a little bit about mediums and things, it's like a little moss-covered plug about two inches deep and about an inch and a half around. And the roots coming off of them are all just white and flat and dry. Ugh. <laughs> yeah. 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 I've thrown away a lot. And I'm a rescuer. I try to buy the ones that look like I can bring them back. Yeah. Well, you definitely want to do some repotting there and get them out of that moss. I mean, or freshen them up with fresh moss. Either way, a good repotting is going to perk those up. Um you can get spag New Zealand sphagnum moss online uh, from Amazon. Um, I'd buy it there myself. You, these tiny little bales, and they're compressed, and you break them open and moisten them up a little bit, and it just poofs out and expands greatly. It, it is a good product to uh, pot a lot of orchids in and grow a lot of orchids in if you know how to deal with it and don't keep it wet too long. Um, I am a huge proponent of the bark-based orchid-growing mixes, however, and there is a really great bark on the market right now called Orchiata, and that can also be purchased online, and we have a wonderful store here in Madison that sells a lot of that um, kind of material, so that's where I get my Orchiata from. Um, it's a very hard pine bark from Australia, uh, New Zealand, I, and I think, and um, it lasts a very long time. It has a real great flavor, as we call it, and orchids do very well in it. So either way, I would recommend getting one of the two products and, and go about some repotting. The real key with repotting is when you get the old media off of the plants, you'll want to investigate the roots and, and trim off most all of those, those dead, flat, and lifeless roots and see what you have left. And then select a, a pot that's appropriately sized for the remaining amount of roots that you actually have. Orchids do not like to be overpotted. They really like to be kind of tight in the pot so if you can easily set this plant with its roots into the pot that means you probably got a little bit too big of a pot um, so try to keep them crowded you can always repot into a larger pot in another year or so but when you overpot them they'll sit and languish uh, those are some of the tips that we really try to um, uh, push on to people with the overpotting and overpotting lends to overwatering um, the other thing I want to mention, if you've got a collection of orchids there um, and you're starting to trim things off, you know, with a tool, we recommend to flame that tool off with, a, you know, just with a Bunsen burner or a small torch or a gas stove or something. Flaming that tool will um, prohibit you from transferring, transmitting any viruses that is in the orchid families or any other diseases or pathogens from plant to plant. Um, so that's really been important lately to, to stress that when you have, you know, a collection of, of orchids that you want to, you know, keep going. Um, uh, yeah. Anything else I can answer for you? Judith, anything else? 
Um, what do you think about the new trend of growing orchids in water? Um, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like I mentioned to the caller earlier, most of these epiphytic orchids uh, have a, a, a vellum, and it's called vellum around the root. And the root is actually just a real fine cord, um, like almost as thin as a thread in some cases, and the vellum is around that. And what the vellum does is, is it's like a sponge. It holds water. It, the root of an orchid, an epiphytic orchid, is 90% water already. Um, so having them in water like that, I, I just, I don't see it. I, I don't know. Maybe there's some trick to it. I, you know, it's like back in the day we had the just add ice orchid out there and, you know, people were calling on that at the greenhouse when we were open and stuff. But, um, yeah, I, I just don't recommend it. All right. There you go, Judith. Thank you so much for calling. Appreciate your call. You can join in to 800-642-1234. Um, this might have been Marty again. Are Phalaenopsis orchids also called moth orchid, orchids? They are. That is the common name of the Phalaenopsis, indeed. Uh, I think a lot of people will refer to it as that. Um, kind of like the, the lady slipper orchid is the Pathiopetalum, and um, there's a lot of other common names, lady of the night orchid and Christmas orchid. And, yeah, you can go down the line <laughs> pages and pages for the common names. But, yes, definitely the moth orchid. Poppy in Ferryville emailed us, where are orchids native to? Oh, that's a really great question. I always love that. Well, there's orchids found on every continent in the globe except the Antarctica. Um, so you can imagine the diversity in this plant family. A lot of people think of orchid and they think, oh, it's tropical. You know, we're down in the Amazon or in the jungle someplace and, you know, there's no orchids anyplace else. Well, we have 46 naturally occurring orchid species right here in Wisconsin. Um, so if that gives you any idea of the diversity, it's um, Minnesota State Flower is actually an orchid. It's a, it's a lady slipper orchid in the Cypripedium uh, genus. So, yeah, orchids from all over the world. So there's like 25, 30,000 different species. There's 800 or so different genera. Um, with all the hybridizing that is going on now, there is literally <laughs> probably over a million different types of orchids in, in hybrid types now. Uh, so And that just keeps growing and growing all the time with the intergeneric breeding that us breeders will be doing and Know, trying to create the, the newest and most different thing. Um, so it's quite exciting. <laughs> well, um, how do you, you, you know, the business of a healthy plant came up, and what do you, you know, you're at the center and look at whatever place, and you're looking at maybe buying an orchid. Uh, what do you look for to make sure you get a healthy plant? Yeah, some of the things that you're going to want to look for right off the bat is the leaves. You know, the leaf structure and the leaf turgidity, uh, the leaf color. Um, if you can get a hold of the plant in your hand and actually hold it and see if it's well anchored in the pot, that'll give you an idea whether or not it has a fairly decent root system. Um, a lot of times we can't see that until we actually pull them out of the pot in most cases, but um, a lot of growers nowadays are using clear, semi-translucent plastic pots that we can actually see a little bit more of what's going on in the root system. And um, if you can do that and you see active roots crawling around, that's great. Um, typically, when you buy a blooming orchid, if you see the flowers, you know, kind of wilting on it already and, they're, and there's still buds on the stem yet to open, 
Uh, that's definitely indicative that the plant is struggling, its root system is possibly compromised, or the plant is in ill state for some other reason, and it just can't keep the flowers going, much less you know opening up the remaining buds yet on the stem. Um, so those are really some of the, the more important things to look for in the, in the interim of it. But um, check the potting media to see if it's got any rotting going on or, you know, moss or fungus or something growing on it. Um, if it's real soft and mushy, you know, that's probably got some root rot going on too. And some of the things like that are just easy tips to look at. Uh, for sure. And uh, what about light uh, for orchids? Um, they need some light in the wintertime. Yeah, they do, definitely. And we have a struggle right now, you know, this time of the year, you know, December and January here in Wisconsin isn't always the greatest. Um, one thing you think about when, when plants in general, not just orchids, but when plants in general start experiencing climate like this, you know, you kind of withdraw some of the other cultural elements such as water and fertilizer. So when the plant really isn't doing much, you know, these months we have short days, a lot of dark days. Um, you can step back from your normal regiment of, you know, possibly watering once a week or whatever you had been doing and fertilizing every two weeks or whatever you have been doing. And just kind of think about that, that the plant is kind of on a little, little vacation, so to speak. And, you know, whether it's flowering or not, or it's producing a flower stem or not, um, those are things that you just kind of want to step back. Back when we were in business and my uncle was the main grower and we'd get around to, oh, late October, early November, and he would always tell me as a young kid, he just put the hose away. And, uh, <laughs> you know, we would, you know, step back on watering our, our orchids in our production greenhouses and, you know, things just kind of slow down a little bit in our northern climate. But um, that's really about it. Is it okay to take your orchid outside in the summer? A lot of varieties do like the summer outdoors. And they do that because um, you get that extra light. They really benefit from, um, you know, having that not necessarily hot direct sunshine on them. But even growing in the shade outside is a better quality of light than indoors in a sunny window. Um, and also most orchids like that experience that extra humidity that we get in Wisconsin. Um, they also really like to experience the differential in day to night temperatures. Uh, we get the warm day and the cool night. That's very advantageous to a lot of the orchids that we grow in our, in our collections here in this part. But um, those are all really great, great assets to getting your plant outdoors. Um, bugs sometimes are an issue depending upon where you are. If you get something crawling in the pot, and a lot of times you bring it in in the fall and you see sow bugs or some other critters coming out of the pot. That's pretty pretty minimal and easily you know dealt with at that time. But um, and there are varieties of orchids like the cymbidium orchid. Um, it is absolute must that you put them outdoors for the summer, um, so they can experience a, a good light, um, good def differentiation in day to night temperature, and then they're really recommended to be left outdoors into the fall until it's just about nearly freezing. Um, where they come from in the Himalayas, you know, they actually do freeze in their native environment, and that's what sets the, uh, sets the flower spike in action, and then you bring it in and uh, grow it in your nice window through the months of, you know, October, November, and December, you finally get some flowers on it. So it's, that's what really gets those going is the cold nights. 
Oh, man. Chuck Aker, our guest, as we talk uh, orchids with him. We talked a little about Orchid Quest as well. We'll get into the Orchid Growers Guild itself in a bit, too. But questions about orchids or maybe an experience to share with your orchid, I hope you'll join in. The number to call is 800-642-1234, 1-800-642-1234. Or you can email us, the email address, ideas at wpr.org, ideas at wpr.org. And uh, Mary emailed us. She got a picture of an insect, but maybe at one of our little breaks, you can take a quick look and see if you can identify that. Okay. Whatever it is growing on uh, on her orchid, uh, and uh, certainly, you. I'm pretty sure you're going to have a good answer for that one. <laughs> <laughs> Lisa in Glendale has something for us. Let's go there. Hi, Lisa. Hi there. Um, I have an orchid that I bought or was received as a gift. It was a grocery store orchid. I didn't know when it finished blooming whether I should cut the spike or not, so I just left it. And a year later now, I have a secondary spike coming off of it. It has blooms coming, but they've been there for a couple weeks and haven't opened. And I'm just wondering if I, uh, if it's stagnated, is it stuck, or is it still going to come open? How do I get those guys to open? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, sometimes, again, in this time of the year, things do slow down a bit. You know, we haven't had a lot of light. Um, on occasion, I have seen buds develop and then all of a sudden just stagnate and terminate and end up falling off. It's it's not common, so I don't know really what you got going on there. Um, on occasion, I've actually seen buds kind of stick together where they want to open but they can't because there's a oh there's a slight what they call gutation or gutating going on at the tip of the bud and it's basically just some sugar byproduct sappy sugar byproduct from photosynthesis that ends up kind of acting like a glue almost at the tip of the bud and uh, basically just misting that bud and kind of rolling your finger around it a little bit to maybe loosen that up if that would be the case but that generally is when your buds are really puffy and they kind of look like they're just stuck together at the tip but um other than that you know maybe be patient a little bit yet try to find a window that's you know providing some nice light not necessarily direct sun at this time that does upset some of the buds occasionally but um you know just give it some time yet things are definitely slow this time of the year there you go lisa thank you uh for calling Let's go to Alice in Fall Creek next. Hi, Alice. Hi. I have a story about three of my orchids. I put them on the patio um, under a cover on my table for the summer, and um, we were having all that bad weather from Canada, all that bad air, and my orchid had all these little black spots on it. Oh, interesting. and then the second orchid bloomed in July, and there were fewer black spots on it. And then the one that bloomed mm, maybe the end of August was beautiful and no black spots on it. So I'm, I lo- we looked for bugs. We looked. We just don't know. That's the only thing we could come up with. Yeah. You said that was on the flowers, not on the leaves. Not on the leaves, but just on the flowers. They're white flowers, Correct. and the speckles were just unreal. Yeah, yeah. That You know, it kind of sounds like botrytis. 
Um, botrytis is a fungus, and it, it does kind of come on when there's, um, oh, dampness will bring it on. Uh, we, we used to get it in the greenhouse on our spring cut flower crop occasionally if we had a, um, a period of time where it was dark, cloudy, and a lot of rain, and the humidity was very high. Um, so that, that, that's really what it sounds like, and uh, it's, it's kind of hard to control that. Once it gets started, it, it just actually you know, lives off the flower there, and there really isn't anything you can do with it once it starts. You can prevent it by you know, keeping things a little drier, a lot of air moving, but that's kind of hard to do you know, when you're outside. So, um, yeah, hopefully that doesn't come back. I mean, there are some sprays you can use as a preventative too, but I don't find that to be highly um, impactful either. So yeah, it's just and so wouldn't it wouldn't have been the smoke from the Canada that was you know infesting us. Gosh, you know I don't have a lot of experience with that. It's possible. Um, I just can't see you know how that could have been. Um, you know maybe some other listener has something to could add to that, but um, I don't really have a lot of experience with that. So I don't I don't know. It just really does sound like botrytis, and yeah. would that uh, set up camp for that reason? I, I don't know. Alice, there you go. Thank you. So so what should she do with those plants? I mean, the two that had uh, probably botrytis this last year, uh, is the same thing going to happen again this year? Well, it does kind of hang around in organic material, such as, you know, the ground when you get botrytis on something outside and you're flowering um, annuals or something. It does kind of live for a while. Um, just using a basic, what they call Fizan 20. It's kind of a um, bactericide, fungicide, viricide, and cleansing product. We use it in the orchid world a lot. It's pretty obtainable you just mix it with water it's very safe um it's you know non-toxic type of products not like a chemical or anything it's mm-hmm. um, that actually keeps things at bay so we actually do use that as a preventative now and then um it's again easy to use like a teaspoon or so per gallon and just mist it around on the uh, surface of the potting medium and the, the leaves of the plant and uh, maybe your growing trays, if you have some humidity trays that you're using or saucers that you're using, kind of just keep that. And keeping good hygiene is, is good practice, you know, in a lot of other as- aspects as well. Alice, good luck. Thank you so much for calling. Jeremy in uh, Manitowoc County is up next. Hi, Jeremy. Hey, so this is to uh, maybe more of a gimmicky point with orchids, but I do have an orchid with a really cool blue coloring, and now as it's maturing out, it's <laughs> it's fading on some of the newer blooms. So I'm wondering if there's information, a process, and a product out there for a, a private person to maintain that, you know, really, you know, almost false blue coloring or purple <laughs> coloring the orchids in. Yeah, yeah, the the blue phalaenopsis, it's a dyed um, product, and it's the the, the um, whole process is kind of proprietary, um, so we don't know anything about how <laughs> they, they do, do it. it or what they use. Um, there was another color just produced not too long ago, and I can't recall who actually showed me a picture of that, and it was uh, quite astounding. It's totally not natural. <laughs> um, but yeah, you really can't do much with that. It's a white phalaenopsis basically, and it's been dyed, uh, injected or whatever pr- process they use on it, which we don't know. And then when it reflowers again next year, or even like you see now, you know, some of the flowers are, you know, coming a little away from that color. So yeah, I wish I could help you with that. <laughs> 
kind of cool, though. That uh, Jeremy, th uh, thanks for calling. So he he wouldn't be able to re-inject those uh, plants. No, not to the best of my knowledge. Again, it's kind of a proprietary process, and uh, they've been around for quite a few years now. And it, like I say, they're starting to do some different colors in that as well. So um, it does add some interest to the orchid family for sure, because blue is not a natural color in the Phalaenopsis world at all. There's actually very few blue orchids. Um, the Vanda family hosts a blue. Um, handful of other species um, can produce some blue as well, but not a lot. So it's a, it's a very elusive color. Connie in Marshfield, we'll go to you now. Hi, Connie. Hi, I grow my orchids in water. Oh my, they, tell me. <laughs> How do you do that? Well, first I bring them home from Walmart or wherever they are. I take them out of the pot right away. I take all the dirt off and I wash them good so it's all gone. Okay. And there's a plug in there, like that one gal said. Mm -hmm. It's like two, one by two or whatever. Mm -hmm. and I get in there, I dig that all out. Okay. Wash it all good, and then I spray it with, uh, uh, oh, shoot. Um, it's H2O2. What is that? Hydrogen peroxide mixed with water. It's, oh. very, it's, it's a very faint mix. Right, okay. We got all down, and then I wash the pot. Okay. Not the pot, but I like to put them in a glass jar or dome or something. And make sure that's all cleaned out, too. Okay. And then I put them in there, and um, I don't let the butt of the plant, well, I, I snip off all the rotten stuff at the bottom. Okay. And sometimes the butt of the plant is very long, and it's kind of dry at the end, and I trim that, too. Mm-hmm. And then I um, put that in the glass jar or whatever, and I don't let the butt of the plant touch the water, just the roots. Okay, very interesting. That that is very interesting to me. I'm I'm enlightened with this <laughs> process. <laughs> so, what kind of do do you get uh, some nice tall plants out of that? Yeah, yeah, they get leaves right away. And you know, I you know, I just whenever they're on sale, I buy more orchids so that I can have them. You know, because it works. <laughs> okay. Well, have you been successful in actually flowering an orchid with this method yet? Sure. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, <laughs> my hat is off to you. I have learned something today. Um, thank you for that. <laughs> you should, um, if you can, maybe get some pictures up on Larry's Facebook page of that for uh, other people to see it. Uh, we, interesting. Send me send me an email and and uh, post uh, with a picture with ideas at wpr.org. Maybe we can put that up there. Yeah. Thanks a lot, Connie, uh, yeah. for calling. Appreciate it. Yeah. Chuck Aker, our guest today, a breeder of Phragmopedium orchids, produces new hybrids. He's got um, a business. And the business is uh, Flasks. Oh, wait, wait, I forget. Don't let me say the wrong uh, business name here. Flasks by Chuck Aker. Yes, yes. Flasks by Chuck Aker, indeed. Yep. Uh, and you can join in with your questions. The number to call, 800-642-1234, or email us to ideas at wpr.org. You're listening to Garden Talk. I'm Larry Mueller.
You're listening to Garden Talk on the Ideas Network. Larry Miller here. Great to have you along today as we talk orchids with our guest, Chuck Aker. He, a longtime orchid grower, a breeder of Phragmopedium orchids and produces new hybrids. And he has his own business uh, where he uh, produces and sells um, flasks of orchids. And uh, his business is websites, flasks by chuckacre.com. So, and he's also, uh, of course, with the Orchid Growers Guild. Great to have him with us. Questions or comments or maybe experiences to share about orchids, we'd love to hear from you. Mary emailed us a photo. We had a chance to look at it uh, during our little short intermission here. Um, And Mary, by the way, said she went to the Orchid Quest last year and loved it. She purchased two miniature orchids but came home with more than orchids. (laughs) She's been struggling with a pest all year. Now all her orchids are infected. So physically, she physically removes them and inspects as often as she can. Uh, wondering what can she do, and she shows a picture of the pest, and what do we got there? That is a mealybug. A uh, mealybug is pretty common in houseplants in general, and orchids are no different with that. Um, not terribly difficult to eradicate. If she's got several plants that are infested with that or crawling around with that, she may want to invest in some, uh, what I would recommend would be the Safer's Insecticidal Soap. Uh, Safer is the is the brand. It's it's sold literally everywhere. You can get it at hardware stores, garden centers. You know, buy it at Orchid Quest. Um, basically, it's a it's a soapy fatty acid solution, and um, that works great to clog the exoskeleton of these insects, and they just slowly suffocate and die. It also leaves a fairly uncomfortable habitat on the plant, so to speak, because it'll leave a little residual there. Um, so it kind of uh, prohibits them from setting up camp any further. Um, it's something you got to use a little bit more often um, due to the fact that it's not a real toxic, uh, harsh chemical or anything. So you follow directions, and I think it's like every three to five days, you know, do a little spritzing here and there and watch for, you know, reinfestations and so on. One thing she may want to do come this spring if, not, if her orchids aren't flowering is to actually just, you know, go outside uh, take them all out of the pot, clean up the old media, get rid of all that stuff, get the roots exposed, and then spray the entire plant and the roots with the Safer's insecticidal soap. Uh, let that dry good and then repot it in some fresh media, you know, washing the pots out if you're going to reuse them and so on. Um, that really gets you a good start because a lot of these things will have eggs and larvae and crawlers living you know either in the potting medium or at the surface of the potting medium and you may not see it so they kind of like bounce back out of there pretty quick but um, that's really one of the best methods to get rid of them there are other chemicals that you can buy that are a little more toxic and um, you know you got to be a little more careful with using them one of them is a is called bear rose and flower spray and we highly recommend that if you're able to spray outside or in the garage or something. We wouldn't want to use that in the house. Uh, but be careful. You know, it is a, it is a chemical. Um, works great on a whole plethora of insects, not just the mealybugs. So if you've got, um, you know, aphids and some other critters crawling around like that, it'll kill pretty much everything except spider mite. And then bear also has a product for that as well. 
So it's not terribly difficult to deal with, and uh, it's it's quite common with plants in general. Yeah, and Bayer is like uh, the aspirin name, if you wanted the spelling on Bayer. Yes. B-A-Y-E-R, I think, isn't it? Yes, yes, yeah. very common product in, you know, garden centers, Menards, uh, hardware stores sell it. Um, it's widely used. Active ingredient in it is uh, imidacloprate, um, and cyfluthrin is the other one. Those two chemicals are fairly new to the market, and they've been uh, very instrumental in commercial growing as well as, you know, hobby home growing for eradicating insect. Bill in Afton, Minnesota has a question for you. Let's go there. Hi, Bill. Hi, Larry. I'm a huge fan of your show and a supporter. Thank you. Um, I have uh, the only uh, orchid I'm able to get to bloom is a Phalaenopsis. Uh, I've had tried Cattleyas, uh, Oncidium, and a couple others, and all I'm ever able to do is grow pseudobulbs, even to the point where you have to split them. To- <laughs> <laughs> but they'll never i never get a flowering stem on them even though i purchased one that was flowering at the time it never flowered again once i brought it home wow well you're doing 90 uh, percent of the work there is getting it to grow that well um probably one of the tricks i could recommend for your cattleyas and, and some of the other genera other than the phalaenopsis to get them to reflower again is to is to put them outside for the summer if you have the opportunity to do so in the shade uh, with a little direct sun on them, either early or late in the day or, or dappled throughout the day, it really gets them a really nice, robust growth. And that cooler night temperature also helps initiate the flower buds and spikes on a lot of these orchids. Um, those are really things that you can you know look at. Um, you can also go to um, the Orchid Growers Guild's website, which is uh, orchidgrowersguild.org. And we have posted their um, care sheets that we used to use at Orchids by the Acres, and I have revised those through the year with the help of one of our members uh, doing some editing as well. They're Wisconsin-based care sheets, culture sheets, and you might pick up some other tips on there as well as far as different fertilizers that you can use. Um, I highly recommend to that, orchidgrowersguild.org, and you go to the How to Grow tab, and in that tab, you will see a Wisconsin-based culture sheet uh, drop-down. And there's all the popular varieties, all the popular genera that are growing mainly around this area. A very concise set of instructions and directions and tips and things like that. But I think getting them outside really is one of the more important things with a lot of those orchids other than Phalaenopsis. And they, too, even like their summer outdoors in our climate. They just don't like the real cool nights. Bill, there you go. Uh, Take a look at that site. You're going to get a lot of additional information as well. Thank you for calling. And anybody else for that matter, orchidgrowersguild.org. Org. Let's go to Lucy in Appleton next. Hi, Lucy. Hello, Larry. I'm so glad that you have this program on today because I have a question about my Cymbidium orchid. I have one I'm looking at right now that is enormous in foliage, but I have not been able to get it to bloom. And I've had it maybe for about five years. I got it from the orchid growers of one of the uh, conferences in Appleton. Uh, but And I have put it outside until it's almost freezing. So I need to know what else do I need to do. Okay. Well, great. It sounds like you got some pretty good growth there. Are your pseudobulbs nice and, and plump and robust? They look like small potatoes on top of the pot? 
well, it's hard to see. You know, I'm wondering if I maybe need to repot it. Yeah, generally, cymbidiums can go about two, usually two to three years between potting intervals. Um, that may be your case. But, you know, they do like to be root bound. So, you know, when you're when you're close to that third year in the pot, that's when they're going to do the best and produce the most flower spikes for you because repotting is sometimes very traumatic on them. It'll set them back a little bit. They may not bloom as well. They'll still bloom, but not as well after repotting or dividing. Um, so that's that's always a situation. You're leaving it outside until it's getting good and cold, like right down to freezing. Um, push that threshold as far as you can, even if you get a couple of nights here and there where it's freezing and it warms back up again a little bit, take it back out. So try to grow it as cold as you can through those months of into October, early November. And then when you do bring it back into the house, um, they do still want to have that cool environment. If you can find a room downstairs in the basement with a window or someplace where it's cool, quadrant off a bedroom and shut the door, turn the heat vent off, something like that where you can still manufacture that cool climate. And by that I mean you know, 60, 65 max day temperature and, and whatever at night. You can just drop it down to, you know, 40 if you wanted to at night. It's very important when they come in from the outdoor growing season to still experience and have that cool climate. Many cymbidiums are uh, late season bloomers, which means they won't set their flower spikes until sometime in December. And when we see people bringing them in at the end of October, or whenever they'll put them in the warm house and they still needed that, you know, month or two yet of the cool climate. So if you can manufacture that somehow or give it to a friend if they've got a semi-unheated room. I've actually told people, put it in the garage, you know, just don't forget about it if you've got a window in there. Or move the plant from, you know, day to night if you can't, you know, keep it in one spot and provide those kind of temperatures um, take it, you know, out to the garage at night and bring it in in the morning in the window and stuff like that. So I think that's your key. And then again, look at the Orchid Growers Guild's website and check out the uh, culture sheet we have posted there for cymbidium growing. There are some different fertilizer techniques there as well. Um, too much nitrogen, too much uh, growing formula, so to speak, will vegetate them and they'll be reluctant to flower that way as well so take a peek at that isn't that interesting that so many plants uh they're not going to flower if they're too comfortable <laughs> yeah and the orchids <laughs> are really notorious for that um you know we as humans like to nurture and pamper and uh, orchids thrive on neglect i mean i used to stress that so much with people it's like you know just forget about the darn thing you're gonna kill it with kindness so yeah. <laughs> Lucy, there you go. Thank you so much for calling. Appreciate your call. Chuck Aker, our guest today, a breeder of Phragmopedium orchids, produces hybrids for sale to commercial growers and to uh, home hobbyists as well. He's been breeding and growing orchids since 1996, so he's been doing it a long time. Here to talk orchids and, of course, Orchid Quest in Madison on February 3rd and 4th. Uh, a great show. I'll be there uh, at some point. I'm not sure what, what time, but I'll be there with some friends and we'll be buying orchids and other things. I'm Larry Mueller. You're listening to Garden Talk on the Ideas Network of Wisconsin Public Radio.
Thanks for joining in for this edition of Garden Talk. Larry Mueller here as we talk orchids with Chuck Aker. Chuck is a breeder of Phragmopedium orchids, produces new hybrids for sale to uh, commercial growers as well as home hobbyists. His business is called Flasks by Chuck. And uh, he's been doing this for a long, long time, probably 45 years or so. Yeah, yeah, most of my life, and I don't mention how old I am. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, as we talk with this expert, I hope you'll join in. Do you grow orchids? What varieties do you like? Questions about keeping them healthy? Give a call, 800-642-1234, email to ideas at WPR.org. And let's go to Lori in Manitowish Waters. Hi, Lori. Hi, thanks for taking my call. I received a really beautiful phalaenopsis about two and a half years ago. It was in flower with some double stalks, um, really one of the most amazing pink orchids I own. And um, boy, it reflowered off the same stalks when I cut it back and grew several cakeys, which actually have done really well. I've repotted them all. But now my question is, this orchid came in sphagum moss, which is a new way of um, potting that I'm not used to using, and it definitely needs a new pot. I'm wondering, if should I change it to an orchid medium like I would with the rest of my orchids? Should I pick off all of that sphagum moss um, and soak it off before I put it in a new media, or is replanting it in some you know nutritious sphagum moss a good idea? I just wasn't sure where to go with it. Yeah, great questions, and i got to commend you on your pronunciation of the phalaenopsis. You <laughs> <laughs> don't often hear that either. Um, yeah, well, how are you feeling with growing it in moss? Are you comfortable with it? Is your plants done well? You know, it, it's done beautifully, but I can tell after this last flowering, um, and really, I, I did put the cakeys in some sphagum moss, and they look pretty good. Okay. Um, I'm pretty impressed that I'm. they've got all new leaves and lots of new roots coming up, and I guess... That would be a secondary care question I have for you. I've never done, you know, the babies before like this. How long do I leave them in the sphagum, and when do they need to go to a growing media? I've seen different um, recommendations online. Yeah, well, the sphagnum moss is an okay product for phalaenopsis, as long as you understand how understand its properties, you know, that it is going to stay moist a bit longer than a bark-based mix. Um, it's a little trickier to, to actually transplant with it to get the right firmness. If, you, if it's too loose, it doesn't hold enough water. If it's too tight, it holds too much. You know, so you play around with that a little bit. Like I said earlier, I am a proponent of the bark-based mixes here in Wisconsin. Um, sphagnum moss, you know, again, it's okay. Um, and the new bark that's out there called Orchiata, if you can find some of that, I'd highly recommend it comes in several different chunk size grades. I recommend Orchiata in the size called Power. Um, I believe it's like a um, three-eighths inch to a half inch chunk, and it works beautifully for Phalaenopsis orchid. You can mix a little bit of perlite with it, like 80% bark, 20% perlite. It gives it a little bit more aeration and drainage. Um, I would highly recommend it to go with that direction if you were able to find some of it. Um, you can usually find it online and stuff. Um, but the moss, again, it's okay. It works all right, but it's a little trickier to repot. It, it can get um, aged out a little quicker than the Orchiata. Um, as far as your little kikis go, you want to try to transplant those generally every year until they're fully matured or start to spike and bloom. So it's kind of like growing a seedling from, you know, from the flask or something. Um, so I got to commend you on that as well, that you've gotten those to go that far. It's, it's quite fun. They're going to be 
a carbon copy of the mother plant, so it's essentially just a clone of the mother plant. So um, th that's that's really fun to do. Yeah, Lori, good luck. Thank you so much for calling. Appreciate it. We've mentioned flasks a few time and a few times, and your business is you know flasks by Chuck. What what do flasks have to do with orchids? <laughs> yeah. Well, the orchid seed is a very different type of seed, and it's uh, it's actually germinated on a nutrient agar solution um, in a flask, and a flask is just the general term that we use for any vessel that's going to be holding this nutrient agar solution. There's things like test tubes and um, old milk bottles laid horizontally. There's deli containers, anything that can be autoclaved and um, sterilized to uh, let this media become sterile and not get contaminated with fungus and bacteria and the, the seed is sprinkled on there. The orchid seed is very different because it does not have an endosperm to it which is generally if you think of like a corn kernel the actual seed itself is you know way in the core of the corn kernel and the rest of the stuff is just food and uh, so on to help the the kernel germinate the, the seed germinate you know in in the soil orchids is entirely different it does not have the endosperm so it needs a little help in germinating um, so in about 1922 or so some gentleman developed this uh, uh, symbiotic relationship with this agar to germinate orchid seed and uh, that's basically how it's done it's it's really a process in the laboratory. It's not something that the average person can do. If you know sterile technique and know how to sterilize things, and uh, you may be able to try it on your kitchen table. I've done it, but um, it's it's tedious work. It's very delicate. Um, it's not like putting a tomato seed in the ground and and away you go. You got a plant. This takes years to develop. The, Usually is about a year in the flask to germinate the seed and replate it into another vessel, another flask for growing for a while. So it's a very slow process. Wow. With a, a process like that, having a business like that, you got to be kind of thinking ahead all the time, don't you? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we're always thinking ahead. I actually don't do the flasking process myself. I, I grow the the stud plant, so to speak, and do the pollinations and create the seed. And then I send the seed off to uh, different labs to uh, that specialize in orchid germination and so on. Um, there's one up in Superior and there's one over in uh, Lansing, Michigan. And um, so they do all that part of it for me. And then once they get them growing as little plants, I'll go get them and bring them back to my place and put them under lights and on my racks and watch the little babies develop properly and if they develop properly they go out for sale to commercial growers or hobbyists and crazy people like myself so <laughs> there you go well uh jennifer we have a bunch of emails we should get to uh, jennifer in uh, epworth uh, iowa emailed us are any parts of the orchid edible or are orchids overtly poisonous to humans or the pets, like the family dog or cat? No, ah, good question. No, as far as I know, there's no toxicity to any part of any orchid plant, to the best of my knowledge. And yes, parts of them are are edible. Um, there's a lot of restaurants will actually use the orchid flower of the dendrobium and a couple other genera for garnishes on the food, and they, they are edible as long as they're not produced in a place that's using pesticides or anything on them. Um, and I also will throw out there that you know, our flavoring vanilla is derived from an orchid. It's, 
it's actually the uh, seed pod of the vanilla orchid is processed and dried and ground and processed into extracted into the vanilla that we use for you know flavoring and cooking um, we used to sell a ton of vanilla it's a vining orchid and very interesting flower and growth pattern i've read some things um, where there's pseudobulbs you know that were ground up and used in ice cream and um, different other parts of the orchids, you know, used in in different aspects aspects of uh, of food products and so on and so forth. So yes, definitely. <laughs> I remember doing a show with a professor here from campus on vanilla and vanilla. Actually, we talked about the whole vanilla process. It's quite a there's a reason it's expensive. Yeah, well, that professor just happens to be Dr. Ken Cameron. Yeah. Now, right? so, <laughs> a really um, good guy. He is also very, very expert in the uh, vanilla orchid family. And, um, yeah, he's written a book, which is really fun to have and look at and read. Um, when he does his vanilla program, that's another one you don't want to miss. But, yeah, Ken, Ken is awesome. Yeah. Well, we've got Jean from Madison emailed us. She knows containers with drainage are best for most plants, but what kind of containers do you recommend for orchids indoors in this area? And which media works best with it? She's heard of baskets, but most orchids she sees in this area are sold in a plastic container with a ceramic cover pot. Yeah, and the ceramic cover pot doesn't have any drainage to it, so things will sit in water and rot out quite quickly. Um, you know, I'm a huge proponent of using a pot that has adequate drainage. Um, just use those decorative cover pots for, again, decoration, you know, maybe while your plant is blooming and you're setting it out in your coffee table or whatever. Um, but make sure there's no water sitting in the bottom. But for physical growing, when they're out, you know, growing outside or you're growing them on your trays in your house or in your windowsill or whatever, you know, use any pot that's got good drainage, whether it's clay or plastic. Um, to decipher whether or not you want to use clay or plastic really dictates what type of orchid you're growing. Um, there's things like the Cattleya. Uh, they really do appreciate the porosity of a clay pot so they can dry out a little quicker between their waterings. Um, you know, most of the Phalaenopsis are grown in plastic pots. You know, they don't really care if they dry out that quick but um, there are certain orchids that will do much better in, a, in you know the different clay or plastic pots but the main thing is make sure they got decent drainage um, like overwatering or sitting in water is that's going to be the demise of your orchid in a hurry for sure you can join in too question a comment experience to share uh, the number is 800 642 love to hear from you barbara uh, emailed us. She has three orchids and will be out of town for a month. Can she leave them without water for a month? The house will be set at 55 degrees. And then also a comment about on putting orchids outside in the summer. She did it one summer and they flourished. She did the same the next summer and the rabbits ate them down to nothing. Yikes. Yeah, that'll happen. <laughs> There, that'll happen. I don't know. There is some things you can spray on them to put them outside. You know, the um, liquid fence, uh, deer and rabbit repellent. There's also dog and cat repellent and you know, stuff like that. You can try that. But, uh, yeah, if they're hungry, they're going to eat just about anything. So that, that definitely is a is an issue for sure. Um, in terms of water, leaving them without water for a month? Yeah, that's a, that's a stretch. If they're growing in the sphagnum moss... 
I would think she can do it um, because it, if you water that moss really thoroughly and you take them out of the window where they're not in the normal light, you know, just put them in the midst of the house somewhere, turning the temperature down like that, yes, you definitely can squeak out a month. Bark, uh, bark-based mix is definitely going to get dry, but again, if they water them real thoroughly the day they're leaving or day before and pull them out of the window, I've known people that have done that. Uh, with the temperature down like that, the plant kind of just sits in suspended animation, and I don't really see a problem with that. All right. Uh, or if you're worried, I suppose two weeks in, are you going to have maybe the neighbor come over a couple weeks into it? Yeah, we always recommend to give them to the neighbor to take care of, and then, oh, I heard stories, oh, no, they got my plants back and they were dead. So <laughs> your neighbor didn't like you, apparently. <laughs> oh, oh, my gosh. Um, we have, uh, uh, I was going to go to the phones. We just lost a, a caller there as and while we're getting the next uh, caller up, um, the, the, uh, flasks by Chuck that I want to go back to that for a minute because that seems like such a cool kind of job, but it's a very exacting kind of thing too, I would guess. Yeah, it really is. And most of the exacting part of it is, you know, the laboratory process, which I don't yeah. do. If I did, I probably wouldn't sleep at night because I would just love it so much and I'd be doing that 24-7. <laughs> um, but, you know, the whole process of producing orchids from seed is, is very complex and very elaborate and very specialized from the point of, you know, the pollination process, you know, getting the pollen in the right place and selecting the parents that you want to use for future progenies, and it, it really is. And, you know, with all the different cloning and tissue culturing going on nowadays, that's also been a, a real instrumental fact of uh, getting more orchids out on the market. But with the variety that the genera that I actually um, work with in the slipper orchid family, they are not able to clone those or tissue culture that type of plant yet so that's you know leaving me up to doing a lot of hybridizing creating seed and and having somebody do the flasking of it and you've come up with some new uh, types absolutely yes i have a whole list of uh, hybrids that have been um, produced by myself and through my family's business and my breeding and so on and so forth many of them are named with the, the acre name um, in them somewhere. Um, yes, it's, it's a constant ongoing <laughs> process. I've got dozens and dozens of different hybrids named after our families and, you know, different people and so on and so forth. Susan in Greenville, uh, your turn. Hi, Susan. <clears throat> Hi, Larry. Uh, love this show. And I, it's a quick question because I know you've been you're about to go off and I need the answer. I have had um, a beautiful phalaenopsis for over a year and a half, and it is on its fourth rebloom. And not only is one stalk blooming, but there's the bloom coming off that same stalk. So I'm, it's going crazy. And not only that, it's growing out of its pot, and I don't know what to do about it. Yeah, yeah, definitely going to need a repotting there when it's done flowering. Don't even attempt to do that when you're in a flowering process. So, um, you know, the next cycle when it gets through flowering here, um, get to it. Um, the repotting um, isn't isn't terribly complex if you have the the right stuff. If you've got the potting medium again, whether it's a moss mix, a moss product, or a bark based mix, um, 
go at it. You know, get the old stuff off, put the new stuff in, select the pot size appropriate to the root ball, that, the root size that you have. Um, if you need more information on that, uh, go to the orchidgrowersguild.org website and their Phalaenopsis care sheet posted there. Um, definitely follow the repotting instructions there. It's pretty simple to do Phalaenopsis. They're not an orchid that needs dividing or anything like that. You just pull it out of the pot, get rid of the old stuff, trim off the old dead roots, and uh, select your pot and new mix, and away you go. There you go. Yeah. Susan, thank you so much for calling. Uh, Vicki called, uh, couldn't stay with us. She saw some orchids while visiting in Amsterdam. They were not in pots. Instead, they were hanging by wires in the air, mm. and they were being misted. Yeah, that's cool because that's probably more like the Vanda, the Vandaceous family. They're epiphytes in nature. Uh, they actually don't like a lot of stuff around their roots at all. They have a very thick root system, very thick vellum on their root. Um, when we used to grow Vandas for, for production at our business, I would simply just take the root ball and um, put it in a clay pot with a couple pieces of broken clay pot shards in there to hold it upright and that was it uh, most vandas that you'll see growing on the market especially down in the southern states florida is a big vanda producer they're in these plastic or wood baskets slatted baskets uh hanging and the roots are just hanging down you know two three four feet in some cases and uh, that's that's really how the vandas grow they love that I was thinking back as you were talking to my uh, a year that I spent at uh, the University of the West Indies in Trinidad, and uh, good friends of mine had uh, orchids, and they were um, many of them on trees and tree branches and and so forth. Oh yeah, the apophytic orchids. Uh, yeah, you just tie it on, and away it goes. They don't really need anything around their roots. You know, they're just crawling around on the tree trunks in the bark getting in the crevasses and, and that's basically why i've always been a proponent of the bark based mixes because that kind of simulates that it has that same flavor so to speak yeah um it has that aerative property it's uh, fast draining aerative so you know that's how they grow in nature it's just really one of the things that help a lot of orchid growers you know understand how this particular uh genera grows in nature um will really help you you know, growing it in captivity, just to understand those simple principles. I want to go back to uh, Orchid Quest, because we haven't talked about it much here, uh, at least uh, recently. It's February 3rd and 5th. 4th. Um, 3rd and 4th, I'm sorry. So that's Friday, uh, Saturday and Sunday. Mm -hmm. And uh, tell us, again, a little bit more about the event. It's a free event. Uh, I'll be there for part of it, for sure, with friends. Yeah, definitely. It's, you know, Saturday, 10 to 4, Sunday, 10 to 3, definitely free. Um, no admission, no parking. We have orchid societies and, and exhibitors coming from all over the Midwest, uh, vendors. We have 11 vendors coming one of them's actually coming from South America this year. Another one's coming from Georgia, a new, a new vendor, bringing in some very different things, things that you've probably never seen here. Um, this is an American Orchid Society judged event, so the exhibitors um, like ourselves, the Orchid Growers Guild and other societies in the Midwest are coming to set up their exhibits through the, um, the members will all bring plants and they make these 100 square foot exhibits. They're just absolutely stunning. 
last year, the Orchid Growers Guild exhibit won the American Orchid Society Show Trophy. Um, Sue Reed, who puts together our uh, exhibits, does an amazing job at, at organizing these exhibits and making these plants stand out to their best. Um, so there's going to be a lot of beautiful exhibits to look at. Um, the vendors bringing in a lot of different things. Uh, again, we have a little educational corner, a kids' corner. Uh, Girl Scouts are going to be out there. There's going to be face painting for the kids on Saturday morning. And we've got a lot of seminars going on. Uh, on Saturday at 11 o'clock, we've got Ken Cameron um, doing the principles of orchid growing. He's going to be talking just some of the basics of that, you know, what how orchids are different from other plants and really what makes an orchid and understanding how, how the roots work, and epiphytes versus terrestrials and just things like that. It's a really informative And program. you're on at noon. I'm on at noon, open forum, question and answer. And then at 1 o'clock, uh, we have a repotting demonstration. And at 2 o'clock, we have another panel discussion. And then at Sunday, 11, Ken's on again. Uh, I'm on at noon again Sunday. And uh, 1 o'clock, uh, another orchid repotting demonstration. So these are all free things you can get in on and learn and talk about orchids with people that live and breathe them. And that's at Ulbrich Botanical Gardens, which is a, a, a really nice setting, and it, I, it's a lot of fun. Chuck, it's been a pleasure talking with you again about it, and uh, I'll see you on the weekend of the 3rd. That sounds good, Larry. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> Chuck Aker, a breeder of Phragmopedium orchids, produces new hybrids for sale. His business is Flasks by Chuck. You type that in, you're going to find him and all the information he's got on his, uh, his uh, site. Monday, at this time, we'll talk about what's new in the Driftless area of Wisconsin with the editor of Big River Magazine. And then the weather guys are back at 1145. Thank you for listening. Have a great weekend. Uh, but stay with us. Lots in store on the Ideas Network. I'm Larry Mueller.